the 200 moving day average is kind of a telltale sign technically. Uh, let's just say the S&P, for example. Um, if we get down near it, which we kind of did in the last couple of days, will there be any buyers that come back in? Today and yesterday, there were some buyers in the stock market nibbling at some of these low prices. Get ready for a new episode of KP Talks Dollars and Cents. Learn financial literacy and get real-time updates on all things housing, finance, and real estate. So let's get started. Here's your host, Kevin Perenio. Hey, it's KP coming to you live from Corona, California. Been away from my desk for like two and a half weeks and taking off again tomorrow for Digital Mortgage at the Win. Looking forward to that. I'm on two panels and our great Robin Clayton, who's our digital marketing director. She is one of the judges together with Julian Hebron and Sue Woodard and company for the Tech Showcase. So it'll be good to see that show um, at a nice venue this year. Looking forward to it. All right. The Preacher Man says it's the end of time. The Mississippi River, she's a going dry. Interest is up and the stock market's down, and you're only getting mugged if you go downtown. I heard that lyric from a Hank Williams Jr. song and uh, made me think of what's going on right now. And uh, wasn't sure how to wrap my brain around a 450 on 10-year treasury. Um, if we look at a live, uh, well, it's not live, it's 1130 at night here on the West Coast. 455 on the 10-year treasury. Um, it is... Uh, like a 16-year high. So then you start getting all these like 16-year cycle people talking on CNBC and all that kind of stuff. And uh, to be honest with you, like I, 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 it's hard for me to wrap my brain around why we got so high. You know, typically when yields are going up, it's because the economy is doing well and, uh, you know, that we're in a, in a good spot. Uh, but, you know, we've been talking about recession for like two years and, you know, um, so are we in a good spot? Are we not? Um, are there some other dynamics at play? I'm going to get into a couple different opinions that I read about um, higher yields and higher interest rates. But before I do that, I do want to recap um, the Fed uh, meeting that happened. And I have a lot to cover, and I only do it in 10 minutes. So I'm going to actually read a little bit more than I normally do. Um, I took some notes when I watched the Q&A session uh, when the Fed spoke, and um, it was interesting. You know, every other Fed meeting, they do what's called the dot plot, right? I think it has like a name like the SCP, right? But the dot plot is where um, all the kerfuffle is happening uh, after this, uh, this Fed meeting. So all the, all the members, there's like 19 uh, members, not all voting, but they basically say what they think is going to happen going forward. Where's the terminal rate? Like the last rate it will be at after all the hikes are done. Where will the, rates, the terminal rate be next year and the year after? Where will unemployment be at the end of this year? Next year. Where will inflation be this year, right now, going forward? And so, you know, the Fed has been wrong a lot, okay? And um, we know they were late to start the rate hikes, and they're going to be late uh, to stop the rate hikes, and they're going to be late to do the rate cuts. But you know what matters? Not necessarily what... Um, is said and projecting the future because they said they're data dependent. What matters is the data and what matters is actually happening. And so we look at data all the time. For example, the Fed's preferred inflation uh, measure, the Fed uh, deflator, uh, the PCE, personal consumption expenditure. Well, that's out this week. That's out Friday. And that basically goes over everything that's, uh, that consumers are spending in real time right here. So for the month of August, um, we'll get that data. 
And so, um, uh, excuse me, uh, September. And so that's great real-time data that they're going to be giving to us. And that is, you know, one of many data points that will be coming out before the next Fed meeting, which is November 1st. And so what comes out between now and then is what matters. Is there good news? Is there bad news? Is there less bad news? What's going on with the economy? We get GDP numbers this week. Gross domestic product. How's the consumer doing? The consumer is 70% of our U.S. economy's gross domestic product. We get a Q2 final reading. And of course, there's always different data points and different speakers. Fed Chair Powell himself speaks on Thursday this week. So the chance to come out and maybe calm the markets after everyone freaked out and the 10-year Treasury went up. Um, but you know, there's a liquidity drawdown going on. Okay, The Fed is drawing down liquidity. There are less dollars in the world. They are not the biggest buyer of treasuries like they have been. And some of our other big buyers of treasuries like China, well, they got their own problems. They're actually having to sell treasuries to raise dollars so they can pay for goods that are traded in dollars. Because remember, the dollar is the reserve currency of the world. So there's kind of a buyer strike of treasuries right now. Um, don't forget, the Fed is also shrinking their balance sheet by the tune of like $95 billion a day or some number like that. Uh, that includes treasuries and mortgage-backed securities. There's less liquidity. Remember, they pumped it up in COVID because the economy shrunk. So they had to put a bunch of air in that balloon. Remember my uh, analogy I've been using? They put a lot of free money, cheap money, zero interest rate money to make sure we didn't have deflation, which is like the worst thing for economies in the world. So now we had inflation. So now we are resetting. We are letting some of that air out of the balloon. You know, it got a little too big. We don't want it to pop. So we got to get it back down. You know, is it going to be too much too fast? I don't know. So um, let me read some of the notes that I took in the Q&A. The Fed says the GDP will be 2.1% this year. 2.1 um, is like average growth, okay? Um, remember when they used to say it was going to be negative? They're going to have negative like uh, 0.4? Well, now they're at 2.1. So, you know, wrong. So does that mean everything they said on the dot plot is wrong? When they say higher for longer and we're going to have less interest rate cuts next year, which people are freaking out about in the stock market, you know, we've got a stock market and to some extent, the bond market is like a microwave where the economy is like a slow cooker. I heard that analogy um, uh, today on CNBC from Canaccord uh, Genuity, um, Tony Dwyer. And so it was a great analogy. And, and you know, uh, Guy Adami on CNBC said something last week, like, why is the bond market acting like the stock market? Why is it so up and down? It's because there's less liquidity, right? When there's a smaller segment or small liquidity or less players, then a lot of movements can be very volatile. And that's what we're seeing because we have um, less liquidity, less players, more uncertainty now. So again, the very first thing the Fed said is that the GDP is going to be 2.1% this year. Totally contradicts everything they've been saying all up until this point. So why should we believe the dot plot? Anyway, data will help us out. Next year, they said the GDP will be 1.5%. Okay, so below trend growth of 2%. 3.8% unemployment this year seems reasonable. We get a jobs report coming out in a couple Fridays from now, so we'll see there. Um, very important data. Next year, they think the unemployment rate will raise to 4.1%. Going up in an election year, that can't be good for anybody. Um, inflation, 3.4% personal consumption expenditure through August, according to the Fed. That was what Jerome Powell said when he came out and made his remarks. And core is 3.9%. Will it stay the same um, here on this reading coming up on Friday? 
Um, the median guess for next year is that uh, CPE would be, excuse me, PCE, personal consumption expenditure, will be 3.3 to 2.5% next year. So that's lower. So inflation's going lower, and the Fed funds rate stays high, then what does that mean? Um, that, you know, the real rate is getting higher, okay? And that is very restrictive. Well, you know what? He goes on to say that. He says that the words that I, I highlighted, he said, that is, uh, we are firming, okay? So the, the Fed funds rate, the economy, it's firming. Long way to go. He said reducing securities holdings at, at a brisk pace. Um, again, that's... Um, shrinking the balance sheet, the quantitative tightening, tightening. It's not just they're raising the rates. They're also shrinking the Fed balance sheet. They ran up $7 trillion on their balance sheet since 2008. Now, I read an interesting uh, point about that. Uh, but before I get into that, the median terminal rate on the SCP, the dot plot, for this year is 5.6%. That means they could do another quarter raise uh, in the next two meetings uh, this year, um, or maybe two quarter raises, uh, one each. Um, but they didn't do anything uh, at this last meeting. And then next year, they have 5.1% um, and then 3.9% as the terminal rate in 25. So less rate cuts next year, higher for longer. Maybe not necessarily higher, but maybe high for longer. If they don't raise anymore, it's high, but not higher. So is that another lie? So we're going to find out. All this data is going to come out. The Bank of Japan, which is you know the yen carry trade, um, the Eurozone, the gilt, British gilt, all these big national federal uh, securities, treasuries from around the world, other central banks, the uh, Bank of Japan, they left their, their rates unchanged, continuing its easy money policy. The driver of U.S. dollar strength for the foreseeable future is the global dollar uh, shortage and a mad scramble for liquidity among large central banks. The dollar shortage was behind the collapse of Credit Suisse, and um, it's behind the collapse of the Chinese yuan today. So we have a dollar shortage in the world. So these dynamics are at play. They're much bigger than maybe even a, a data point dependent read by read on all this inflation stuff. But we're going to watch. We're going to watch the data. We're going to watch earnings as they come out for companies. And that's all the stuff that matters, not necessarily what the Fed says. So hang in there, everybody. Catch you at Digmo this week. Cheers. Hey, it's KP coming to you live from Oxford, Mississippi. We're at the Lafayette County Courthouse here. I am... Uh, this is the most scrubbed out you'll ever see me. I was traveling today and this is how I travel sometimes. When you go to Vegas for two days for Digital Mortgage, which was a great success. Congratulations to Halcyon for winning the tech show. It's pretty cool. I think Blend uh, took a top three in there and so did Haven. Um, all great tech companies. And uh, again, congrats to uh, Robin Clayton, our digital marketing director for being a judge together with Julian and Sue and everybody else and for lending tree to sponsor. CoreLogic has a uh, a client appreciation thing they're doing tomorrow and Selma Hap will uh, be talking to us and uh, you know they've they've got a great group at CoreLogic so uh, we're here in Oxford I've never been here man it's, it's pretty cool it's a charming little town uh, my parents from the deep south of Louisiana and uh, much much smaller town than this but this definitely got the small town feel so I'll walk around and try to get hit by a car as you can see they're all over the place all right big number out tomorrow the personal consumption expenditure, PCE. That is the Fed's favorite inflation gauge. Why? It's expenditures by consumers in real time, and 70% of our GDP and economy is consumer spending. So we kind of have an idea because of the um, CPI, the Consumer Price Index, 
that came out that energy costs will be a little high and um, the numbers have a chance to surprise the upside because uh, gas is um, is more expensive lately because the, see the, the price for a barrel of oil is uh, 92, 94, you know, could get to 100, who knows. You know, um, if anybody follows Bill Ackman, he's, um, he was on CNBC today and he's been tweeting a lot this year. <coughs> he's tweeting a lot this year about, uh, sorry about that, I started coughing on my freaking dinner. Um, been tweeting a lot this year uh, about going uh, short treasuries and saying, you know, a lot about the economy. And he's talking about how he thought it was a misstep by our administration not to fill the strategic petroleum uh, reserve uh, when oil was cheaper. And I think everyone can pretty much agree with that. You know, OPEC plus, you got Russia and the kingdom of Saudi Arabia continue to do oil uh, production cuts. And it's a shot at us. It's a shot at our economy. It's a shot to weaken our economy. It's a shot to make um, it more expensive for the U.S. consumer, which would drive down GDP and <clears throat> force us into a recession, which is really the only way they can fight against an extremely strong dollar. Remember, the dollar is the, the reserve currency of the world. Everyone that trades with the largest economy in the world, the United States, has to do so in dollar-denominated assets. And um, right now, when liquidity is being drawn down across the globe, this is how other nations fight back. So we've talked a lot about the BRICS Plus. We've talked a lot about some of these foreign um, alliances uh, to try and de-dollarize the world. And taking a shot at our oil prices here at home is a way to weaken our economy and ultimately weaken the dollar. Now, <clears throat> the good news is less than like 3% of uh, a consumer, U.S. consumer's budget is oil. So, you know, oil going up, it might affect someone, you know, on average about 40 bucks a month. But that's meaningful, um, you know, if you have to decide, you know, whether to put food on the table for your kids or whether to drive somewhere. So um, a really good rule of thumb that I saw about commodity prices says higher commodity prices solves higher commodity prices. So uh, demand destruction can absolutely take hold here and people just drive a lot less and fly a lot less. I'm starting to see a lot of advertisements for um, fall travel from the airlines um, offering discounted tickets. Usually that's a sign that demand is low and they aren't pulling forward enough um, business. And so, <clears throat> you know, um, distillates are uh, a little more expensive than regular, you know, gas in our car, you know, like diesel and jet fuel and stuff like that. So we'll keep an eye on that. PCE tomorrow, that number's big. It's huge. Big data point. Is, is, is inflation persistent? Is it going to stay high uh, for longer? Um, you know, that's another thing that Bill Ackman talks about. Follow him on Twitter. Check him out on CNBC. Um, he had a pretty interesting interview. I watched some of them on my plane um, on the way out here on one of my legs. And um, he uh, is talking about how he invests now. It's more like a Warren Buffett style. He likes to pick about eight companies and just stick with them. He's not the big fame short selling guy like he was, although um, he's kind of shorting the treasury right now. Um, he's betting that um, our debt will, uh, will stay uh, high and that inflation will stay persistent and that the U.S. government um, is, you know, n no party is doing anything to curb their spending. So one of the reasons why the 10-year Treasury is going up so much <clears throat> lately, and of course mortgage rates along with it, is because there's so many bonds being sold by the Fed. Remember, the Fed 
the Fed was late to start raising rates because, you know, they need to reflate the economy, get more dollars out there, you know, set the table. And then they're going to be late to stop uh, raising rates and they're going to be late to cut. You know why? They're always late because they need to wait and see where the competing dollars for yen, euros, gilts, and anyone else, what they're doing that's competing for treasury dollars that we need to sell treasuries to fund our expensive ass government and all the spending that we do. So remember, the Fed is the biggest salesperson of the world uh, to fund our government. And by the way, we might have a government shutdown tomorrow. I think there was a 35 day shutdown. Uh, it was the longest one. Um, so I think under Clinton with Newt Gingrich, Obama with Boehner, and now Biden uh, with McCarthy. So I, I saw that, you know, excuse me, Trump with Pelosi and now potentially Biden with McCarthy. So all three instances now, maybe four this weekend, a president with, um, <coughs> excuse me, a House um, majority leader of the opposite party. So, and we're going into election year. So, you know, it's interesting. Like, it's going to be a sign that our government's a little bit dysfunctional, that we can't pass a continuing resolution and just kick the can down the road and try and figure out how to do a better job of our budget. Um, and, uh, but, you know, they're, they're going to stop, you know, spending money and, and paying uh, government employees. If you remember the last time this happened, everyone got back pay. So every government employee that, you know, got caught up in this thing uh, last time with Trump and Pelosi for 35 days or so, they all got their pay back. So it's not like we stopped it and then saved money. We're not saving you money. We're going to end up paying all these employees, as we should, because it's not their fault. And they're not going to be working. So, um, but you know whose pay doesn't stop? Uh, we're funding a lot of Ukrainian government officials, just saying. Um, different animal. Um, obviously, they're at war. Um, but it was interesting. Bill Ackman brought about uh, a point about that. The peace dividend is over. So with us being, you know, a proxy war with Russia through Ukraine and spending literally tens of billions, maybe we'll get to 100 billion. Who knows um, what the number actually is? The peace dividend in the world that helps money um, be stable and our financial system be stable and, um, you know, just again, they call it the peace dividend. It's not there right now. So that that's a problem. And it's another point that I, I don't know if that's going to resolve itself anytime soon. Okay. Um, is the market bullish? Remember, I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not responsible for your losses, only your profits. The 200 moving day average is kind of a telltale sign technically. Uh, let's just say the S&P, for example. Um, if we get down near it, which we kind of did in the last couple of days, will there be any buyers that come back in? Today and yesterday, there were some buyers in the stock market nibbling at some of these low prices. You know, it also is a bullish sign for the market. Um, remember, our economy is still strong. I mean, the Fed is saying they're going to keep rates higher for longer. They said because of um, the surprise strength of our economy. So we get, you know, we're getting all these, you know, GDP readings that are showing strength. Um, so, you know, if the economy's strong, the best companies out there in the world will continue to, you know, make a profit. They've got pricing power, operating leverage, free, uh, free cash flow. So, you know what is another bullish sign is how many, like 50% of options traded are within five days. That's speculative betting of options expiring within five days. Um, something like 40% of them are all same day options. That speculation and options is a bullish sign. So there's some bullish undercurrent of money there, but there's definitely a buyer strike on the um, the bond trading side. Um, you know, there's just a lot of 
bonds being forced down the throats of dealers. And by the way, bonds are mostly largely snatched up by dealers, which just sits on a balance sheet as an entry credit. Those dollars don't really go to work. It's it's the Fed, you know, just trading money with dealers out there, broker dealers. And, and so, you know, we're going to see where the system goes, but um, we'll be at LSU at Ole Miss this weekend with CoreLogic. Thank you very much. Uh, I'll be back um, in my office Monday night for a nice little uh, video there. So have a great weekend. Let's pray for some low inflation number in the morning. Cheers. You've been listening to KP Talks Dollars and Cents, a top-rated show for those who want to learn about the economy and mortgage environment. Tune in each week for more episodes, and please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Kevin Perenio does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through KP Talks Dollars and Cents. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. For more info, follow KP Talks Dollars and Cents on all of our social channels.